Hello, everyone. It's Obi from the Obi and Axe Show. Today, I have a very special guest and friend, Peter Searcy, who is the head of hiring and recruiting at the FBI. Peter, thank you for joining us. How are you today? Uh, yeah, great. No problem. Uh, glad to be here. Thank you so much for your time. I I know that saying you're busy is a, is an understatement. First obvious question, what is your specific role outside of the title? What is your specific role with the FBI, Peter, for our viewers? Yeah, that's a, I am the person that is in charge of hiring every single person uh, at the FBI. Uh, all 56 field offices, um, our headquarters, uh, locations around the country. So, um, you know, the FBI has 37,000 people, 14,000 agents, uh, but everybody else um, are all those other things that organizations have, budget yeah. analysts, Intel agents, HR specialists, computer scientists. So uh, I have to hire all of those people for all the locations. Now that seems like no a, yeah no kidding we've we've got the head of recruiting for the fbi here you know it's funny because you just by the title obviously it screams that you're super busy and you have so many responsibilities but when you when you actually break it down a little bit in terms of how many lives you're responsible for uh in hiring and and putting into the right places and then ensuring obviously public public safety that you've hired the right person the next obvious question is what is the most important aspect of your role? Yeah, I think that the most important thing for me is to make sure that the FBI is set up for mission success in the future. So obviously the people the FBI has on board right now, they are working the mission today. But as we look ahead and think about what skills does the FBI need in the future, what bodies does the FBI need where, it's my job to make sure that the FBI's mission is never hampered because they don't have you know, a body in the right space, or they don't have anybody with a certain skill set that's needed. So that that's really what I think of as my my most important goal uh, is to make sure that that FBI mission is never hampered um, because they don't have the right people. And and so so how what is the day to day breakdown for you? Yeah, as you mentioned, super busy. Uh, definitely, you know, back to back to back to back meetings. You know, almost every day. Uh, I would say, you know. Probably uh, on a daily basis, I'm meeting about special agent hiring. Uh, for example, you know, are we selling the next class at Quantico? Um, you know, it takes about 27,000 applicants to apply now each year to fill those thousand slots at Quantico because of the fallout uh, and testing process. So, you know, always looking to make that process better, make sure we're filling the classes. Um, maybe meeting with a strategic partner like our counterterrorism vision or, um, you know, a group that covers a very specialized position like the people that you know, forensic accounting program, making sure that their, you know, hiring is on track, uh, might be meeting with our recruiting folks to talk about a uh, new initiative uh, serving Native American populations or uh, trying to get more lawyers in or approving new video scripts, things like that. So, you know, definitely a uh, great variety every day, uh, but very forward-leaning uh, mix of long-term strategy and then uh, what is happening right now in the nitty-gritty details. The other thing that I um, that I have to ask is over the years with all these different responsibilities and tasks that you have, how has your job evolved over the years? Yeah, I think that in the past, the FBI's recruiting and hiring efforts were not as uh, strategically thoughtful uh, at the big picture, right? Where all 56 field offices uh, might be doing sort of their own thing. So we spent a lot of time trying to put together uh, national recruiting plans, strategic targets we're going to hit, 
but also a standardized process, right? So that, um, you know, if you're being hired as an agent in Seattle and Albuquerque and Charlotte, your experience is fundamentally the same. Um, we are also moving from a path where, um, you know, when we had an, a need for a IT specialist or, a, uh, you know, a budget analyst, we would just put up a posting, uh, pray that enough people hate their jobs that day that we get a good candidate, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is not the right way to hire, yeah. uh, to specialized sourcing methods, more thoughtful sourcing methods based on uh, extra labor market trends uh, and the needs of uh, those specializations. Um, we did not have any social media program four years ago. So now, obviously, social media uh, use is a core part of our recruiting and sourcing experience. And uh, really... Uh, spending a lot more time thinking about the experience of the candidate. You know, the FBI sort of has a past uh, attitude, you know, because of our, you know, really great uh, mission and great reputation where sort of people come to us, we don't woo them. Yeah. And that's really not the way the external labor market works now. There are a lot of opportunities, um, a lot of um, things that compete for candidates' attention. So we really need to... Um, provide a great candidate experience, answer people's questions, make them feel like uh, they're wanted and valued um, throughout the candidate experience. And so we spent a lot of time trying to improve uh, that as well. So what specific typical characteristics, uh, values, do you look for when selecting a new hire for any role? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, we're always looking for smart people who have great skills in whatever their specialized skill set is. I mean, that sort of goes without saying. But I think fundamentally, you know, the FBI is a mission-driven organization. You know, it's right there on the wall. Protect the American people of the institution. That is not boilerplate. That is something that sort of infuses every aspect of our lives here. And so we look for people who are really attracted to the idea of doing work that matters. They want to, you know, improve the health, safety, welfare of the communities that they live in, the world that they live in, like that is a non-negotiable and sort of you either have that uh, or you don't. Yeah, that is deeply ingrained in someone. They either do have it or they don't. And I think is there, and to kind of piggyback on that question a little bit, is there anything specific that is a is a no-no if you hear it in an interview? Uh, yeah, I think that, you know, we do have some pretty strict rules um, as a national security organization, um, a pretty specific drug policy. We obviously, all of our candidates have to pass a polygraph exam and a background investigation in order to get a top secret clearance. Uh, that is a measure of their risk um, in uh, giving that person access to top secret information. So it's not a measure of are you a bad person or not. It's just, you know, is it risky or not to give you access to this information, you know, in the future. Security-wise. Yeah, security-wise. So obviously, uh, there are definitely times when in an interview, somebody says something that, you know, completely blows out a security rule, you know, obviously. So, you know, that's a no-no. I think, you know, more subtle issues are, you know, we're always looking for people that show great integrity. They have initiative. Um, they uh, have a certain humility. Uh, you know, the FBI cannot be successful with people working by themselves. Like, this is a team mission uh, success kind of organization. So you want to see in interviews people that understand, hey, I bring great skills to the table, but I understand that, you know, working as part of an amazing team is the best way to be successful. So, 
you know, there are always people that have awesome skills, but are uh, hotshot jerks in interviews. Yeah. Uh, and I would say that uh, like we, we do not need that. So I think that humility plays a major role. Um, yeah, in- I, I think people, yeah, I think people struggle with that during uh, interviews. Sometimes they want to talk about their accomplishments. Um, but sometimes they're uncomfortable with that and sometimes they sort of blow past that and they brag. And I think finding that line between, you know, you're confident in your ability to talk about um, what you're great at, but you also understand that, um, again, you're going to be a part of a larger mission and that that mission focus, uh, that you're going to, you know, be a part of that larger group of people that's going to be working toward, you know, whatever uh, the mission demands, you know, that's, that's always, you know, the kind of person that we're looking for, um, you know, for any, any role at all. And, and I have a quick question for you. So as somebody that, um, and I'm very open as an executive, as, as the show is obviously about is as an executive and an entrepreneur, I'm very open about the fact that I've had addiction issues and that I'm almost three years clean myself right now. And, you know, it was one of the hardest decisions I had to make in my life was to realize that, you know, I do have a problem. It's not everybody else, but you know, I have to, you know, kind of stand up and figure this out. How do you deal with anybody that does have an issue at the FBI and need help? So I think the way to think about that is as a leader, you're looking at your people all the time. Uh, you know, you're evaluating their performance, you're looking at their job, um, uh, the ability to perform their job. And I think people with a substance abuse issues or people who are struggling with it for with some issue for whatever reason, yeah. um, often see that change in their behavior or that degradation of job performance uh, first. And that's often yeah. something that we see as a sign. Absolutely. Uh, we, do, we do try to be sensitive to the fact that uh, there are no perfect people, and people are struggling with things that might be uh, addictions, or or they definitely will need some help to resolve. Uh, and balance that with the need to ensure that their behavior or how that is how that addiction uh, is affecting their work behavior might put the organization at risk. And so, what typically happens is we call a, a group of people together. We have what we call an integrated management team, human resources that uh, usually works these cases, um, and it usually brings in people from our um, human resources group, our psychologists, our security group, our internal investigations group, um, because these are always very complicated situations with a lot of things to unpack. And so having everybody in the room sort of allows us to um, look at the whole person and the entirety of the situation, assess it as we must, from a risk point of view to the organization. But then once we've mitigated that risk, then try to figure out like, what's the best way? Is this handle it as a performance issue? Is this uh, work at work it as a psychological issue, you know, and then try to try to work out a cohesive plan, you know, with all parties uh, for that person. And that's, that's been a very successful approach. That's great. It's definitely a complicated and complex issue. And, you know, I think that it is extremely important, not only that the, the person, uh, that's, you know, battling these issues gets the help they need. But, but at the same time, you also have another difficult task at hand to ensure that, uh, their job is, is not being neglected because you're there to protect the American people. And, and it's important that people are able to perform at a hundred percent. So I know that you've got, um, a difficult task there. 
How, how has uh, diversity inclusion play a role in, in your specific role? And how have you guys evolved in that specific area over the last few years? Yeah, I think that's a great uh, question and a great point to, to bring up. The FBI, as a national law enforcement and intelligence agency, uh, needs to ensure that uh, it looks like the American population that it serves in order to maintain its legitimacy. And so uh, bringing that diversity into all aspects of the Bureau, you know, is something that's really important um, as the uh, demographic nature of the country evolves, as our mission and work evolves. So uh, over the last couple of years, we've really been focused on uh, diversifying the special agent ranks. That is um, definitely something that we struggle with. Um, so we've uh, made a huge um, effort the last, I would say, four or five years to increase the diversity of the applicant uh, ranks, um, both to uh, both from a diversity, uh, ethnic minority um, end and a you know gender uh, norm end, bring more women into the FBI. Um, yeah. And that's, that's been, I mean, I'm, we're not perfect, and man, do we have uh, more work to do, but we've made some pretty great strides uh, there. Uh, we also um, have been working on this uh, project uh, where we did this sort of uh, employee lifecycle barrier analysis where we looked at, uh, for the special agent ranks, um, how minority and female special agents progress in their career from entry to retirement all through, you know, career level leadership ranks. Uh, compared to their white male peers, uh, where they lag, where they uh, are ahead, and then in every place where they lag, we are really taking a, a deeper look at, you know, what might those root causes be? Is it a selection issue? Is it an applicant issue? Is it a knowledge issue? Is it a culture issue? And so, you know, we're really in the middle of trying to sort of unpack all of that. I would say that, you know, over the last two or three years, the awareness that, um, Lack of diversity represents an operational risk for the Bureau. It's something that has really penetrated the senior ranks of the Bureau, which okay. is awesome. That means we have, you know, really great executive level support for these initiatives. That it's not just, you know, diversity for, you know, making people feel good. Uh, it's, you know, lack of diversity will hurt our ability to perform our mission. And that is a gigantic problem for us. So, you know, we want to make sure that we are thinking about it. We're being thoughtful. Um, you know, we have programs to ensure that people who are in the organization feel included in decision-making that, um, you know, when important decisions are made, it's not just a bunch of white guys in the room um, who are looking at the world from a very specific angle, uh, but that, you know, we're ensuring that, you know, diversity of uh, background, gender, experience, knowledge base, you know, are in the room, um, you know, as we're making hiring, leadership decisions, operational, mission-driven decisions, um, and things like that. Well said. And I think one of the things that jumped out at me and I couldn't agree more is that I think a lot of the general public believe that diversity and inclusion is just something that we do to hold hands and sing fun songs. And it's, it's done just because we want to appease people. And I know in my field, and it's great to hear you say the same thing, that diversity and inclusion makes your business function better, more effectively. It helps the people that you serve. It also helps lead others down the, the path that is is just better for everybody as a community and as people as a, as um and as we grow uh, it's nice to see leaders like yourself truly leading and believing in these adopted practices because they're actually efficient and also it's the right thing to do so kudos to you Peter I think that's uh that's really really well said and I uh, I appreciate the transparency just in in general for your agents wh what would you say 
are your agents the most susceptible to when it comes to mental health? Where would you say you, you see most problematic areas and why? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think traditionally the Bureau has always recognized that in a um, in an in an individual situation, a, a critical incident like a shooting, um, you know, or something like that, that there's always that uh, immediate uh, mental health issue in the in the immediate post crisis uh, world. And so, you know, we we've always you know provided services for that, whether it's you know counseling services or you know, um, you know, just trying to make sure that in the immediate aftermath of a big incident, uh, you know, people are taken care of. I think what the Bureau has a growing uh, awareness of and knowledge of and now really trying to take steps to work on is the, the, the danger of sort of repeated gradual exposure to traumatic situations in their day-to-day work, whether it's um, folks that are working crimes against children, or working, um, you know, in undercover situations uh, where, you know, the very nature of the duties for which they were hired puts them on a day-to-day basis into this, you know, very stressful situation from which there really is not a legitimate escape because that is the job. So, you know, thinking about that resiliency and that exposure, um, you know, I think that's really informing sort of the, the, the programs that we're putting in place now. Uh, to address the mental health and wellness of the, the whole workforce. Is there anything that, that you guys tell your agents that they should do outside of the job to help mitigate some of the, the mental stress or strain that, that they take on during the, the role? Uh, yeah, I think that's a great question and a great point. Uh, as you can imagine, an FBI agent is not a uh, turn it off at five o'clock yeah, job. Exactly, um, yeah. I think the most important thing and the, the thing that we've really started doing um, is talking to agents, um, really talking to all of your employees, um, because obviously it's not just agents that are in these situations, uh, about the fact that uh, this is a thing that will happen to you in your job. Like, it is going to happen. So I think the first thing is just to build this recognition that um, mental health and resiliency is a thing you have to think about in your role here as an FBI employee. And that it will carry beyond the office when you go home and it will potentially affect uh, your relationships and your family life. So it is a thing that you absolutely have to be aware of and, and pay attention to. And I think that is sort of like the first uh, sort of wave of, you know, what we're trying to do is just make sure that we build this awareness, uh, take away that stigma by openly talking about it, trying to be very transparent, you know, when they um, come on board as new bureau employees that, hey, this is a thing that is going to happen to you. Here are some, here's understanding like neurologically what's happening uh, as your brain reacts to stress. Let's talk about some strategies that people can use uh, to deal with that. And then let's talk about resources that are available, whether it's counseling resources that we have access to, um, where in the organization can you talk to. I think the big fear that we try to talk about up front is will uh, acknowledging that you need help uh, that you need counseling or that you need to be on some kind of medication? Will that affect your security clearance? Will that affect your uh, a job? Um, and, you know, I, I think, as I'm sure you know, in law enforcement, there are huge stigmas uh, against, um, you know, talking about mental health. And, and that's something that we're really trying to actively work against. It is tricky because, uh, you know, especially special agents, they are in a position where they, um, it's a weapons bearing position, right? They, yeah. um, Definitely have, you know, there is 
a certain level of, um, let's say, mental uh, degradation that were they to experience, that actually would prevent them from, you know, effectively doing their job. And as we said earlier, you know, we do have to think about that risk uh, from a law enforcement position uh, and from a risk to the American people. That being said, that is not most people's situation. You know, most people uh, need to talk to somebody. They need to see a counselor. They need yeah. to acknowledge that um, this is a normal part of human health and development. And, you know, going to a counselor is a very normal thing. And and the vast majority of people, you know, will be very successful, you know, dealing with their, um, you know, their any uh, difficulties they have, you know, going through, you know, that, that process. I, I guess, you know, human beings get put into high stress situations, long hours, you know, things that cause the mind to click into high gear, you know, or be on high alert. I guess the, the, um, the next question that I have for you is how does your role play in terms of identifying agents who may be a great candidate for an internal promotion? Okay. So there's sort of two different things there. Let me unpack. Um, my role is to bring amazing special agents into the organization with a broad range of skill sets and um, abilities. Okay. As they uh, as they get their office of assignment and they go to Albuquerque or El Paso or New York or wherever they're going to be assigned, the leadership of that office gets to determine how that new person's skill set fits into the operational needs and the the gaps in their own office, and so. They're the ones making the decision about, hey, this new agent's going to go to a white collar crime squad, or hey, I actually have two agents that I'm going to swap. You know, this person with accounting background and put them on a cyber squad, and I'm going to put this person, you know, with a cyber background on this, you know, white collar crime squad, you know, for healthcare fraud, you know, because there's just a lot going on there. So they, they're the ones that yeah. can make that operating decision about how they're going to move their assets around. Um, one of my colleagues in human resources is the uh, senior executive over leadership. Uh, leadership development, leadership promotions, leadership transitions. And he is the one that, you know, works within our organization to guide hiring managers on the right way to think about filling their leadership. So if we are going to, you know, launch a new process, for example, to say, hey, um, a couple of years ago, we put in place this new uh, threshold interview requirement for anybody that wants to go into a senior leadership position in the Bureau. So before you can even apply, you have to pass this, you know, broad-based, you know, threshold interview, you know, where you go before a panel of senior leaders in the organization uh, and show that you thought about and developed yourself uh, for a leadership position. So, you know, he's the one that really thinks about that uh, from a uh, big picture enterprise level. How should we be thinking about selecting our leaders uh, and what process uh, should be in place? The Again, usually the individual uh, department heads, they get to work within that process then to select the leaders they want we just try to make sure that they are thinking about things the correct way. So it's that partnership element. Once again, it's delegating, it's working in tangent, it's it's partnerships, it's thought leadership coming together. It's so many things to encourage a strong unit to move forward. Delegation, I was speaking about this with Don in our last interview. How does delegation play a role for you in your, uh, in your specific day-to-day? Uh, -day? In any organization of very driven people, which I think it is very fair to say the FBI is, delegating work down to others is very, it's very hard. Like you want to do things yourself. You want to have control. You yeah. want to, you know, you want to drive the bus because you know that you can do it and you would do a great job, right? 
Yeah. But obviously, yeah. when you get into a leadership role, you can't do everything for them. So the ability of those leaders to delegate effectively is critical to their success. And I would say if you can't learn to delegate successfully, you will definitely fail in a leadership role. Miserably. For me, yeah. you, know, my, you, know, I, you know, when I'm talking to my subordinate leadership team, the most important thing for me is that they understand, hey, here is the vision I'm trying to drive. Here is what I think that what I want the end result to look like or the, the problem I'm trying to solve. And, you know, what kind of timeline are we on? Is this a, this has to happen immediately? This is a year problem, two-year problem. I want you then to help drive these initiatives, drive these, you know, um, programs toward that vision that we are all collectively sharing. And let me tell you why that goal aligns with the Bureau's, you know, overall mission objectives. And I think that you know, especially in human resources, you know, it's because we're not in operations directly. It's my job as I delegate things down to also paint that, that picture to say, hey, the work that you're doing right now is going to help our counterterrorism division succeed with its mission because they will now have these skills or they will now have these people or, hey, the work that you're doing now will help our cyber division grow its workforce in the future because we are, you know, digging deeper into what cyber skills are, you know, human capital needs you know, are in the future, right? So it's my job to paint that yeah. picture as I delegate down and then to check in and make sure that, you know, things are, you know, going along and that, you know, do little course corrections as needed. And and what, and what would you say, what is the most challenging area of your job? I'm always concerned whether the Bureau's uh, intense operational needs right now and the things that are happening right now, of which there are myriad, um, is preventing us from, you know, stepping back and saying, okay, what do we need in five years? What skills are we going to need in 10 years? You know, which is not a pressing problem today, but a problem for me. And that, that's really what I think about, right? Yeah, the long-term. You know, the forever, yeah, long-term. Like, yeah. I have to be thinking about, like, hey, in five years, what is the attrition rate for special agents? Are all of our special agent lawyers leaving in a cluster? Do I have to start recruiting lawyers now? when there doesn't appear to be a need because in five years that need will emerge. And so, you know, that that's really the thing that I, I spend a lot of time thinking about and trying to make sure that our bureau leaders are, you know, stepping away from the operations demands of today to have a conversation with us about like, hey, what where do you see your skill set needs evolving, especially on the IT cyber front where oh, obviously yeah. the external world is changing so quickly, it's very hard for us to to keep up. Um, with even what's happening, much less recruit those skills and then prognosticate in the future yeah, what we need. 100%. So, you know, I think that's a challenge for sure. You're the, the number one guy for recruiting and staffing. I mean, you have so many different areas, employees, agents that you're hiring for. But how do you, how do you find, how does, how does the education role work for yourself and knowledge sharing and educating yourself for all of those different areas that you're responsible for? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think that as uh, unique as the FBI's mission is, uh, human capital and recruiting is not a particularly unique mission, right? So I try to make sure that I'm, you know, in line with my private sector peers. Um, uh, you know, what trends are happening in the industry? Where does everybody think the external labor market is going? What uh, skill sets are in high demand and thus are going to be, you know, hard to recruit, right? We are trying to um, acquire the same talents that uh, Google or Goldman Sachs or yeah. Amazon, you know, these other 
you know, amazing companies are. Now, the, the same kinds of people aren't always attracted to that. Again, I go back to, uh, you know, if you're the kind of person for whom a mission-driven organization is not correct, then you're never going to come to us. But okay, I think yeah. that you know, it, we, we, have to, we have to be understanding what's happening in the private sector. What are the current trends? Um, so I try to make sure that I'm, you know, in line with my peers, whether it's reading um, books or listening to HR podcasts or, you know, going to conferences, um, you know, just to make sure I'm up. And then I try to bring that information into the FBI to my team to say, hey, this is what's happening in the private sector. How do we think that trend is going to affect us here in the next two or three years? And then we can sort of apply, you know, the FBI filter uh, to what's happening outside. So many moving parts, but it's interesting to see. Bit. Yeah, right. But it's interesting to really see how... Uh how you're able to make it work from a delegation standpoint and also understanding what you can get in terms of output from your staff. Because I think that's another area that, it, for me, I, I know in, uh, in the business world, it's understanding what your certain players are capable of and where their strengths lie. How important is it for you to bring out natural talents through individuals and then teach them the framework of the role they're going into? I think it's really important as a leader in any organization, but especially the FBI, that we cultivate a place where people feel like they can be themselves at work, but then also bring their best ideas to the table. And you want to encourage natural talent, uh, like that means you have to give them a place where uh, it's okay to try new things. And some of those things are not going to be successful, right? Um, if you are doing nothing with zero failure risk, then, you know, you're not, you're definitely not doing enough, right? Yeah. So it's my job to say, I want us to try a bunch of things. And if 75% of those things work and 25% fail, that's pretty good. I want us to be growing and evolving. It's just our job to mitigate the, the risk of that 25% failure, you know, where, what are things that can't afford to fail and how do we, how do we offset that potential failure? Um, yeah. I also think that it's really important to make sure that in addition to, you know, natural talent, you don't um, overwhelm that with like, oh, you're amazing. You're great. Therefore, you need no development. You need no um, training. I think that's, you know, that's sort of a, a trap. Too much positive um, reinforcement. Yeah, yeah. Because I think no matter how talented they are at the time they come into the organization, you know, the world is changing and evolving. Our mission is changing and evolving. Everybody's skills have to grow and evolve as they grow in their career. Um, you know, when I came into the Bureau, um, cell phones barely existed. They have literally changed the world. So maybe the way yeah. we do business needs to, you know, change. So, you know, I'm looking for people that have, you know, we think of as learning agility, right? That confidence that they can learn new things, that they can apply those new things, that no matter what comes, they'll be able to learn it and grow and evolve in their own careers. Like, I think, you know, that's kind of what we look for, you know, especially in leaders, but, uh, you know, also in just great employees um, to pair with their natural talent because, you know, you don't want somebody who's super talented when they walk in the door and then they fall apart five years down the road. Well, I mean, look, talent, talent always fails when the hardworking stop working. So yeah. I think it's, yeah, it, think you know, and that's the way I've always looked at it is that, you know, I'm always looking for the elite. I partner my companies with some of the top business schools in the world and talent is 
only as beneficial as the mindset of the individual who is releasing the output for hard work. And, um, and I think that grows, you know, goes across the board in any sector in the world. And, and honestly, uh, Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today. I know that the man that runs the recruiting for the FBI has, uh, has many things to do and I won't keep you any further, but I just wanted to let you know how much of a tremendous opportunity it's been to, to have had you on the show. And I appreciate you very much. And thank you so much for being on the show, Peter. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, I just really appreciate that you are, you know, talking about the intersection of you know, business and mental health, uh, and they trying to make that a very normal conversation. I think that's just really important. So, you know, happy to be on uh, today and, you know, happy to chat. Thank you so much, Peter.